Hello and welcome to Business Without. I'm Dominic Frisby and Uri Clark is a uh, multidisciplinary firm, as the saying goes. That means they're both a legal and an accountancy practice. And uh, my co-host Andy Uri is one of the partners in the company. And uh, Andy made the observation a couple of years ago that the firm has so many interesting clients doing so many interesting things. Andy wanted to find a way of, of getting those stories out to a wider audience. And his means to do that is this podcast. So Andy, good morning. It's uh, We're recording this show at about 6.30 in the morning because our guest is on the other side of the world. Andy, who is that guest? And uh, tell us a bit about him. Thank you, Dom. As ever, uh, a beautiful intro. Uh, we're joined by uh, a doctor, Noel Duncan, I, I believe, uh, who is um, CEO of a business called Sisu uh, Wellness, uh, which is a preventative health or a self-care company, a company that effectively helps people look after themselves a bit better, gives them gives them the data, information and tools to, you know, better better care for themselves to prevent them uh, hopefully getting uh, sick and uh, and uh, all those nasty things. So good afternoon, uh, Noel. How are you doing? Good morning, Andy, and good morning, Dom, and uh, thank you for having me on this very esteemed podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so, I mean, Noel, let's start with the present. You know, I think I think let's just get into, you know, Sissy Wellness and, and what are you doing in that in the space of preventative healthcare? How do you hope to help people? Well, I'll, I'll just start, Andy, by um, your pronunciation. It's uh, Sisu. So, um, Sisu is a, it's a Finnish word, actually. And um, what it means is that um, you have resilience and, and courage and, and honesty. And um, I guess when we started the business, um, we felt that, you know, to try to help someone change their behaviour, um, it's very, very difficult. And uh, we felt that the word Sisu encapsulated um, the whole kind of ethos around what we're trying to do as a business. And, and it's really, really simple. I mean, essentially what we're trying to do is to help people live a healthier life. And then to do that, um, provide a whole range of different tools, um, services and, and hardware um, to be able to help guide that individual through some kind of behaviour change, whatever that behaviour change might be with the ultimate aim of, um, of, of you know, allowing people to, to, to live as freely and as healthily as they possibly can. Because um, as we all know, you know, it doesn't matter what we've got in life, if, if we don't have our health, um, then, um, you know, everything else comes comes secondary. So we're really lucky. We're, we feel very privileged to be working in an industry where we can genuinely help people. And, uh, and we're really enthusiastic and we have an amazing team, you know, in the UK, um, in India and uh, and also in Ireland and Australia, um, that is a, you know trying to get to as many people as we possibly can to help them, you know, live a healthy life. So, how, how, and how, when you say help, what does that actually mean? Is it like an app, or is it a what is it you do? <clears throat> no, well, it, it, interestingly, Dom. So, um, Andy and I have known each other for a long time, and Andy um, was very integral um, in in the previous business that I had. Um, which um, allowed an individual to go on to the internet um, and complete a whole re range of, um, of health checks uh, answering a series of questions. And then from those series of questions, um, be triaged into what we call behaviour change programs. So things online where you can encourage people to do a weight loss program or a smoking cessation program. But within that 
um, business, which was, you know, very, very fortunately, we were um, we exited that business um, very successfully in 2009. And um, but what we found was that engaging men was was really difficult, and so we felt that we needed a hardware component as well. So what we did, Dom, was we we went um, and built what we call a physical health station. Uh, the physical health station is 2.4 metres tall, um, weighs about 140 kilograms, and it allows the individual to, to do a check on their height, their weight, their blood pressure, their body fat, their diabetes risk, their cardiovascular risk, and it's all internet enabled, and then that information then gets emailed to you, and then it, it gets stored into your personal dashboard, and then within your personal dashboard, we will then triage you off to a whole range of different programs based off the information that we capture from you to then be able to try to support you with a healthy life. But we believe that we need to capture that information to start with, to really try and personalise the interventions and the, and, and the guidance that we give. Because at the end of the day, you know, everyone knows they need to do a little bit more and exercise and everyone knows they need to improve their, you know, eating habits a little bit. And we all know that we probably need to reduce the amount of alcoholic beverages that we consume. But we need to make sure that we personalise it. So the information that we provide for you um, is specifically based on, you know, the biometrics that we capture. So we've got the hardware component, Dom, and the software component. So if I sign up for your thing, you send me the hardware component through the post, is that...? No, no. So the hardware component in Australia is in pharmacies and supermarkets and retail settings and corporates. And we have a, you know, a really significant partnership with the biggest pharmacy wholesale group here in Australia, which we're incredibly privileged and honoured to work with, a company called Australian Pharmaceutical Industries, which um, has, you know, really big brands such as Priceline, which is probably equivalent to Superdrug in the UK. Um, and so you can walk into one of these pharmacies or into a supermarket, uh, such as we've got some in supermarkets in the UK, uh, the co-op up in Manchester is a really good example, where you can actually just go into those stores and do the health check for free. And the reason for making it for free, Dom, is that we believe that every individual, regardless of socioeconomic status, should have the right to be able to check, to do a health check for free. So there's a big sort of social component to our business as well as, a, uh, as, well as an ethos of trying to help people. So you, you walk into a, a corporate or to a pharmacy or to a supermarket or to a shopping centre and, um, and these health stations are uh, positioned in a manner for that individual to be able to jump on and do a free check. Can you get one in the co-op in Broccoli? We'll try. We'll try, Tom. We'll do our best. We'll do our best. We'll speak to the powers and try and get one there for you. But, uh, but in all seriousness, we're very, you know, passionate about trying to get these health stations out to as many sort of different areas as we possibly can to ensure that we can allow people to jump on and, and do a free health check. I, I was amused when you said that it, it's men that made you build the health station because the moment you started saying, oh, I'm going to build this health station years ago to me, I was like, oh, how fantastic, <laughs> a big machine. Tell me about the machine, you know, and you have to be so careful these days with, you know, sexism and generalisations. But, you know, it, it's certainly true that men, we like machines and we also, I think it's about being strong. Like, you know, the thing that we fear most, the Ernest Hemingway problem is, is, is sort of weakness. We want to be able to be strong. And part of that is ignoring weakness. Do you know what I mean? Or ignoring our fallibility. So... I mean, do you find it very, it's, it's very prevalent, is it? You know, most men are, are crap at looking after themselves. 
No, I wouldn't say most men, actually, Andy. I, I think that um, I, I think that uh, most men have a real interest in their health. I, I really do genuinely believe we all have a real interest in our health. It's just we have different ways of being able to um, receive that information. And, and, and this is anecdotal, so we don't have a scientific paper published about this. But, you know, the, the men are gravitating to the station, we think, um, of our research that no one is there pointing the finger at them. No one is there telling them that they need to lose a few kegs or that they need to, you know, um, stop smoking or that they need to, you know, reduce the amount of alcohol that they're consuming. Because deep down, everyone kind of knows. And that's one of the reasons why we're trying to capture measurements that matter that will hopefully then nudge that individual to make a few behaviour changes by, you know, improving their sleep or dropping their alcohol. But there's no one sitting across them in the, with a white coat and there's no one kind of pointing a finger and looking at them and going, hmm, yes, how are you going, sir, this month? Um, so it's just I can jump on the station and the machine's telling me so I'm not being embarrassed. But we do, we do strongly believe we've got 47% of the population that have used the health station are men you know, which is unprecedented for us. You know, normally, you know, if we were to be looking at a health intervention, we'd be looking at 25% of the population, if we're lucky, you know, that, that men would be engaging. But men are absolutely gravitating like we've never, ever seen before to health stations, which is, which is really, really exciting because we've been able to capture something that's, um, that has resonated with men. And that's one of the reasons why we're really enthusiastic to keep pushing them out. It's the sort of principle behind this that rather than get, I don't know, Parkinson's disease, like I've just done one of these um, DNA tests, and I understand that the principle behind this is that rather than get Parkinson's disease when I'm 65, I'm better off learning that I might be the sort of, you know, uh, I've got the DNA that makes me prone to catching Parkinson's disease and find this out at the age of 40 and then take preventative measures earlier on before the thing actually onsets. Yeah, absolutely, Dom. You know, we're strongly of the opinion that by providing the information to people, it allows them to make decisions based off the information. Now, whether or not they act on it, you know, in your particular situation, you know, whether you act on the advice about, um, you know, your predisposition to Parkinson's disease is, is, is up to you. You know, that's why we sort of use the word self-care because it's up to the individual. But what we're aiming to do is, is to enhance the health literacy of every single individual. So at least they've got the information so that they can make decisions based off knowledge. Um, we don't want people to, to make, inf- make decisions based off a lack of health literacy. And, you know, blood pressure is just a really, really good example of, you know, we, we, we're really passionate about everyone knowing what their blood pressure measurements are. You know, if you go out into the community, you would have it as a guess. I'd be, you know, from our, from our research, it's around about 90% of people don't know what their blood pressure measurements are. And, and we know that it's the biggest risk factor for, you know, stroke. And so, you know, if we can try to help educate people, understand what their blood pressure measurement is, we think that we can go a long way to be able to help, you know, a number of individuals um, improve their health and wellbeing by, you know, attenuating the incidence of, of stroke just by changing, you know, their lifestyle. So it's that, you know, providing information for them, enhancing their health literacy, and, and hopefully they can live a, you know, a healthier life. I think people always feel that they would love, you know, an MRI of their entire body all the time, i.e., you know, what's almost surprising is there's some really basic metrics, ultimately quite basic, isn't it? It's, you know, your weight, your height, 
your blood pressure, you know, which can be is technology that's been around for a long time, isn't it? And I think, you know, the, the wife being a doctor, I've learned this over the years that, you know, you go and see a GP, that's all they really check. You know, they might do if they're worried, if, if th- things don't look right, there's something right, you know, then the next thing they'll do is they'll take a blood sample and the blood will tell them a whole heap of information, you know, about you. But it, is it... I mean, is it just those are the only metrics we ever record, so therefore they become the indicators? Or is it, you know, really is the case that, you know, between your weight and your blood pressure and stuff, that that is sort of the fundamental knowledge that you need to have as a person and regulate, as it were, to enable you to have good health? Because otherwise... Do you know what do you know what I'm trying to ask? Yeah, I, I do. I do, Andy. And look, you know, one of the things is that... Um, what we're trying to do is to make it as scalable as we possibly can. Um, you know, we've completed around about 3.7 million health checks. We know that we've got around about 1.3 million people using using the system. You know, we, 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 we're really enthusiastic to try to get this as scalable as possibly can we can. And to do that, you've got to have the top level as basic as you possibly can. And, and our top level is really, really basic. It's your height and it's your weight and it's your blood pressure, it's your diabetes risk, it's your body fat. And so that's kind of what we would call our, our baseline information and what we would call the biometrics that matter. But then, you know, the, we, we also have a, a, a real ambition to be able to drill down and capture more and more and more information. And, you know, for, for, for you gentlemen, you know, in, in your late 30s, early 40s, you know, it, it's something that we would love you to be tracking through your own personal dashboard for the next 30 or 40 years so that, you know, you can look back when you're in your 70s and say, wow, you know, my blood pressure hasn't changed um, except for the last two years. Maybe I need to do something about it. And then we're also in, in the business of capturing deeper information. So we have the opportunity to be able to capture information about the individual's sleep through, you know, um, SPO2 device that, w- that we're partnering with. We're looking with uh, other, other partners whereby the individual can collect, you know, their prescriptions and have all their prescriptions. But the dashboard that we're building out for this individual is everything about their health. But you know, if, if you go in and, uh, and try to complicate it at the start, um, it makes it really difficult for an individual to want to engage. But, you know, we've got different layers of data um, and, and, you know, we, we're of the opinion, or we do know that we have the most amount of health data, you know, on Australians at the moment. Now, we're GDPR compliant, so we're extremely passionate about protecting that data. We're extremely passionate about looking after that, that individual's data and we'll do absolutely everything in our power as a business to make sure that we do protect it because we see it as a as, a, as higher value than your financial data. But, you know, we, we will do that and uh, and an individual can, can track all their information, upload everything into, into the portal and it's uh, it's going to be saved, um, encrypted um, at risk, encrypted at transit and, and it's that individual so they can track it over the next 30 years, 40 years. Does it matter that, like, I don't feel protective whether people know what my blood pressure is? Do you know what I mean? Are people very sensitive about it? I think they are, Andy. Yeah, I, I think they are. You know, certainly our, our um, research and, 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 you know, that, um, that people are very protective about their data. Now, you know, we're, we're working on some systems at the moment. And, you know, as you know, we consider ourselves a, you know, a software company in many ways that, that need hardware to be able to, to, to build out. But we're a, a health tech software company and we're building out a whole range of different um, kind of modules where you might be able to share your information with your spouse or you might be able to share your information with your family members. But, you know, you don't want your information being shared beyond that. And you want to be able to control who sees that data 
and you want to be able to control where that data um, goes. You know, you don't want it shipped off to anyone. Can I, can I just chime in on that? I'm picking up my co-host here. There was a great story um, in the lead up to the last US election, not this one, but the last one, where they discovered, and it's sort of one of these things that makes sense if you think about it, but they discovered that um, Americans who drove American cars were more likely to vote for Donald Trump than they were for um, Hillary Clinton, whereas Americans who drove foreign cars were less likely to vote for Trump. So this is Cambridge Analytica who, who did this. And so they then targeted, they found people who were either hadn't voted in previous elections or in swing states who drove an American car. So now... You, you might go, well, I don't care if, if somebody knows what kind of car I drive. But they were able to access that information from, I don't know, car dealers or whatever it was. So it's not so much what the information is, it's how that information gets used. And so another one like that is if you buy fennel in a supermarket, you are a low insurance risk. So, you know, so insurance companies want to know what stuff you're buying in the, in the supermarket. So the fact that you bought fennel, which is pretty innocent, actually has an outcome, you know, that, that information gets used in ways that you had no idea. And so, you know, and if it's something relatively innocent, like whether you buy fennel or not, or what kind of car you have, you know, when it's something like your blood pressure, you know, in other hands, how valuable is that information? So that's, that's it's not so much that somebody knows your blood pressure, it's how that information of your blood pressure you know, gets used. And in, in malicious, malevolent, nefarious hands, you know, I don't know how that information be, be, can be used. Do you, do you have any com comments on that, Noel? Oh, look, 100%, Dom. And, 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 that, and that's where, you know, we, we would never, you know, we, we protect that data with, you know, everything we could possibly can do as a business. Because you are right, you know, there's, there's a whole range of different reasons, how, you know, and um, how people can potentially use the data. And we want our customers to know that they can trust us and that we have you know, the same values as them. And, and the same values being that we just want to assist that individual and live a healthy and well life. And, um, you know, we would not sell the data to anyone. And um, Must be worth a fortune, that data, though, as well. It's it, it, absolutely. And that's why we protect it. That's why we protect it with our, you know, with everything we possibly can as a, as a business. And, um, you know, we've just recently put out a, uh, a publication um, here in Australia, which um, we call it the health of the nation. Um, there were 660,000, um, you know, records within that, um, within that report. Um, you know, we can drill down to postcodes and, 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 and identify at-risk postcodes for, you know, for stroke, um, for, for high blood pressure, for, um, you know, BMI issues, for smoking. You know, we can tell you the postcode within Australia that has the highest rate of smoking. So, you know, what, what we're thinking about is that this information becomes really valuable to be able to ensure that we can be really efficient with the funds that we've got. So let's say, for instance, if we've got you know, £10,000 um, to run a smoking cessation program, that's not going to go very far. But if we know that we've got £10,000 to spend on a smoking cessation program in Derby, as an example, um, you know, that, that £10,000 will go a reasonably long way. And we might be able to make, you know, some significant behaviour change within Derby as a consequence of that £10,000 that we've spent. So we're, we're looking to use the data in a way that we can be really sophisticated in terms of creating a behaviour change that is going to have a positive impact. 
what and what governments and people want, doesn't it? Is they want a non they don't they don't really care who I don't mean it like that, but they don't really need to know who the person is, isn't it? What's what's okay. useful is that the data as a whole to say we've tracked a million people over 20 years and these are the things we've learned from this information. And if you're if you're on this path, you know, 90% of people on this path end up here you know and therefore we can we can better we can better advise you about what you do you know what i find mad is uh is how how much nudging you know so you know i never did it till recently you know because there was happened to be a scale in um in in the kitchen and 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 uh, in my youth i had some uh, problems with uh anyway uh, but the point is if you weigh yourself every day it's um it has this like massive impact because you think, oh, I did, oh, I've been really good. And then honestly, every weekend I put on two pounds. That's what the scale tells me. Mon- at two to two and a half pounds, Monday morning. I'm like, what the hell? You know, and I've got, I'm holding this bottle in my hand that I don't wish to advertise, hydrate. Um, it's like a gimmick. Like it's got a little bat thing in it, like flashes a light. And then the app tells me whether I've drunk or not. Why do I give a shit that this thing flashes? But it has an effect on my behavior. I find it the most amazing thing. It's like uh, the reward mechanisms of the brain are so sort of fickle that they're like, if I get a little flashing light, oh, the app goes, hey, well done. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I'm like, oh, good, yeah. Or rather the app saying, oh, you haven't drunk very much. It annoys me. I'm like, don't you tell me that. I'll show you how much I can drink. Is that is that how all humans behave or is it just I'm, I'm, I'm fickle? Well, no, you're not at all, Andy. Uh, absolutely not. And, you know, there's, there's a couple of really, you know, great points that you made there. And the first one is that, um, you know, jumping on your body weight scales in your bathroom, you know, every single day. Um, you know, we need to be really, really careful with doing that because, of course, we don't want to be encouraging people with, you know, eating disorders and, 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 and having, you know, it go the wrong way. But we, we really encourage, you know, um, individuals to, if, if you measure it, it matters. Do you know what I mean? Now, it, that, that's whether it's in your personal life, whether it's in your corporate life, whether it's with government. You know, if you measure it, it matters and you can then track it over time. But the other thing too is that it's bloody hard. It's really, really hard to to change your behaviour and to, um, you know, modify your eating habits or modify your exercise habits or modify your any kind of behaviour change. And so we do need rewards and rewards are so important for us. And, you know, there's the the rewards where we can give you something and that is a little flashing, you know, sort of thing when when you have your water. And there are also rewards where we actually take things away from you. So, you know, what happens maybe, Andy, if, you know, on your drink bottle, you know, you had a score of 100 and you needed to drink something, you know, that that popped up on your water bottle and you had a score of 100. And if you didn't drink, then over time that score goes down and you're, oh, gee, I'm down to 50, I better drink. So it gets me up to 100. So there's different psychologies that you can use. You can can reward someone by giving them a flash or you can reward or you can incentivize them by taking them away. And there's a little bit of research of late. It's just a, the actual more powerful one is to take things away from an individual. And that's the thing that really gets them stimulated. So you've got to make it very simple, but very personalized. Absolutely. And the personalized is the complex bit that, because if it's Correct. just simple and generic, that that's really unengaging, isn't it? It's just like, well, you know, you'll have walked past the you'll you'll have walked past the bus stop today, where it'll have told you to eat, you know, your five fruit and veg, sorry, seven fruit and veg um, in the UK, of course, five fruit and veg in Australia. We don't need as many fruit and veg out in Australia as we do in the UK. <laughs> uh, for but you know, your thirty minutes of physical activity a day, and um, and you walk, you'll have walked past that on the bus stop, you know, every single there. To, it makes no difference. Whereas if you get something that says, you know, Dom 
you need to do this. Andy, you need to do this. You go, oh, okay, yeah, actually, that's specifically for me. And, uh, and that's where I think we're in a really, really exciting period with the whole machine learning, you know, um, sort of AI models that we might be able to overlay to be able to be really sophisticated with the kind of interventions that we can suggest to an individual. So let's say, for instance, if we've got enough information about Dom as an example, we know his height, we know his weight, we know where he lives, we know his eating habits, we know his sleeping habits, we know his basic um, blood, so his, you know, his glucose, his cholesterol uh, measurements, and we can run some AI across that to say, hey, look, Dom, based off our information, you know, we suggest you do A, B, C, and D because this is going to have an impact for you in one year's time, in five years' time, and in 10 years' time. Now, it's really important that we have the, you know, this is going to have an impact for you in one year's time because especially, um, you know, when we're in our younger ages, we don't really um, think about when we get old. But uh, we do think about what's going to happen when we're, you know, in 12 months' time or 24 months' time. You mentioned eating and drinking at the beginning of the interview. Presumably you rely on me to input the data of what I've been eating and drinking. <laughs> yes, we do, Dom. You've, uh, you've hit on a very good point there. Can I just jump in there, okay? Men, men don't tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we know men think they're taller than they are. We, we know men think that they're lighter than they are. <laughs> my, my, my friend was on a WhatsApp chat, was going on about how he's going to give up, he's giving up alcohol this week. And then he literally said, I've given up alcohol apart from the two beers I had uh, with the pizza last night. And that was for him giving up alcohol. <laughs> he- yeah, 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 no, totally, totally. Look, we, we, we put what we call machine-generated data. We put machine-generated data at a higher rate um, than self-reported data. So, um, you know, if it's self-reported data then um, we will kind of, you know, use it, but it's the machine-generated data. So with our, with our health station, it's what we classify as a Class 2A medical device. Um, it took us about four years to get that certification as a Class 2A medical device. So we take the information that we get from the health station and treat it as gold, you know, because we know the individual's height, we know their blood pressure, we know their body fat, we know the information coming off the health station is just absolutely, you know, pure. We then take the information from the HRA and and treat it with a little bit of caution. Um, Now, one of the things we are able to to track, which is really fascinating, is, um, you know, I was a smoker, I'm no longer a smoker, I'm now back as a smoker, I'm no longer a smoker. And it's being able to track that behaviour change with that individual over time, which becomes really, really fascinating. Um, Let's just assume I'm an ordinary bloke, maybe a stone heavier than I'd like to be, Uh, you know, maybe my heart beat is 10 beats per minute, you know, faster than I'd like it to be. I'd like to be a little bit fitter. What's the single best thing you can do to transform your health? Can I have two, Dom? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The the thing that I always encourage people is um, is incidental activity. And and, and I think that if we can enhance our incidental activity, um, I think it's really going to have a really significant impact across the entire population. And I don't care whether it's, you know, the UK, Europe, Australia, you know, America. We're, we're very sedentary in our jobs. You know, we're very sedentary in sitting at the desk. And, um, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm certainly, um, you know, certainly in this category where I can sit at my desk for 10 hours in a day, you know, and 
And um, But what we need to be able to do is to build in incidental activity. And certainly one of the things that we encourage with our team is, you know, take a phone call as opposed to a Zoom call and go for a walk while you're catching up with, you know, one of your colleagues and try to build in as much incidental activity as, as you can. And one of the great things is that, um, you know, with our phones, you know, you, you can easily track, you know, the amount of incidental activity that you're doing per day. And so, you know, you don't need to go out there and dedicate yourself to a two-hour walk every day, but what you can do is try to, you know, just build up through incidental activity, you know, 8,000, 10,000, 12,000, 14,000 steps a day. And that's going to have a, a, a really significant impact. And the other thing that I think that we can look at doing is... Let me interrupt you, and I'm going to get told off by Dee for... Uh because uh, um, we're not supposed to talk over each other on the podcast, but Dee's our producer. Um, just a comment on the incidental activity thing. One thing I've noticed, you know, everyone's put on, well, not everyone, a lot of people have put on weight during the coronavirus, the corona curves, and and the big observation I make is, having spent much more time at home, is this huge loss in incidental activity. You know, just the, you know, just commuting, walking to the tube station, those kind of things. You know, all those incidental activities have been lost. Oh, correct, Dom, 100%. We're seeing it in our data. You know, we, we sit in, we're seeing it in our data. You know, our, our analytics team do an amazing job, you know, looking at the data that comes through on a daily basis, and we're actually seeing that. You know, we're see, and we're seeing the consequences of that as well, you know, with increases in, um, in body weight um, and, and reductions in physical activity. And so, you know, one of the beautiful things, I've, I suppose, living in London or Manchester or one of these, you know, big cities is that, you know, there's such a wonderful opportunity to be able to, to walk and, um, and, 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 you know, use the, use the tube and, uh, and use the public transport. And we're missing out on all that activity. Yesterday, I went to the office in London and came back again. And I did 8,400 steps doing that. And normally, since lockdown, I'm, I'm doing 1,500 unless I walk the dog and then it's 4,500. So you would have thought walking the dog was similar, but I did twice as much. And all I did was walk to the tube, take the tube to work, walk to the office, walk back to the tube. That's all I did. And I was like, yeah. oh, my God. And the other thing is, if you have a day at work, or, you know, for me, I might be going to from sound studio to sound studio or something, and you, um, sometimes it'll be, you'll get home at dinner time and you'll go, oh, I forgot to have lunch. I just didn't have time to have lunch. And you say so you end up missing meals. Whereas I can tell you at home, I never miss a meal. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's, such a, it's such an important, you know, social, um, you know, component as well. You might say, you know, with a colleague, hey, do you want to go down and get a cup of coffee? And, you know, so there's another kind of 1,000, 1,500 steps. Or, you know, you might have to go and catch up with another colleague who's, you know, two stories up or two stories down. And there's so much incidental activity. And, I mean, you know, while Zoom has made it and, and uh, Microsoft Teams has made our lives very, very easy to go from uh, finishing a meeting at 59 on the hour to starting another meeting at zero on the hour, there are there are consequences and there are physical, you know, uh, health consequences that we really need to, need to consider. So, you know, I think that we really need to, to look at it. And I, one of the things that I've always thought about is, um, and, and I remember when uh, when Boris was actually the mayor of London, um, I think I sent him a, I think I sent him an email or, or, or a note to say, why don't you slow down the um, slow down the the, the elevators on the uh, on the tube stations because it'll encourage more people to walk up and down the stairs, you know, because you see everyone standing <laughs> to the right and you see 
a whole no, range of No, you mean the escalators. Make the escalators. Sorry, the escalator. Yeah, the escalator. Yeah. And what a great idea. If you slow them down, it's going to really annoy people. And so they'll move to the left and start walking. And, uh, and you can always blame it on health and safety. You should join the minist- Ministry of Nudges. Yes, <laughs> Ministry of Miniature Changes or whatever. Right, tell us number two. Incidental activity number one, tell us number two. Well, the, the other, to, to, to sort of go back to the question, Dom, in terms of what we can do for our health, um, I, I'm an enormous sleep um, advocate. I, I think that the, um, the, the health benefits of sleep are, are genuinely significant and I don't think as a society, again, you know, in, in the Western world, we, we provide um, enough support and enough encouragement and enough education around the benefits of sleep. Um, and particularly for young people, um, you know, and particularly with the advent of uh, social media and phones and um, and taking phones into the bedroom, uh, you know, it, it's 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 a cleanser. You know, it's a cleanser for the brain, and and we need to be able to make sure that we get good quality sleep so that we can, you know, attack the the next day. Um, it has a, an, a physiological effect on our hormonal profile. Has a physiological effect in terms of the way that we. Um, uh, synthesize and store, you know, um, memory um, information. You know, there's really great research to be able to show that it's, um, you know, will attenuate the incidence of, you know, a lot of neurological um, diseases. And uh, and there are so many different benefits that we can that we can help an individual. But you know, rarely do we see, you know, much education around sleep and the importance of sleep. And and uh, and I think they're just two really simple things that we can try to encourage people to do: is get your sleep and build as much physical activity into your daily life. As the father of a teenage daughter, I can attest, like, we have had such problems getting her up in the morning, getting her to school. And it all comes back to being on her phone too late at night, all the mental stimulus she gets from her phone and the little endorphins that get released when she has a like on Snapchat or whatever it is. And so as a result, she doesn't get to sleep as early, you know, instead of falling asleep at 10, 10, 30, 11, she's falling asleep at 12 or 1 o'clock. And then she's not getting up in the morning and, and the knock-on effects have been terrible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, the, the, the cognitive impairment that you're getting by having, you know, disruptive um, sleep is, is really, really significant. And, you know, when we think of health, I think we, you know, we have a little bit of a def- sort of a narrow um, view on it. You know, we've also got to start to think about the health of our brains. And um, yes, you know, by going off and doing that um, physical activity, um, yes, it's going to help my heart and it's going to help my lungs, but it's also going to help my heart and my brain as well. Um, and so I think we need to start to bring into the conversation, you know, the physiological benefits of doing, you know, um, living a healthy life on our brains and, and looking after our brains. And can I ask, how does your company make money? Are you pursuing market share and relying on getting funding or do you sell your products or is it a little bit of both? We've got some amazing partners. Um, we've got some really, really amazing partners um, and partners that have a similar vision to what we've got. And I suppose it's um, as a business, you know, we, we can't do this on our own. You know, we, we need to partner with organisations that have, have the same vision and values that we've got. And I've mentioned Australian pharmaceutical industries here in Australia. I've mentioned 
mentioned, you know, the co-op in the in the UK, which are just a, an amazing business, you know, looking after the health of British people and particularly those in, in Manchester in this first phase. Um, you know, there's a whole range of different other clients that have similar philosophies around wanting to help their staff or, or, or their populations. And so it's a very simple model for us, um, Dom, is that we license our platform and our platform includes the health station, the online platform, all the reporting that comes off the back of the, um, the usage so that organisations can put a return on investment for the interventions that we run. So, so pretty simple kind of licence model um, that we, that we um, sell to, to our partners um, in the UK, Ireland, um, Germany and, um, and Australia. Where's your next market, mate? I mean, you've, you've become, you've, you've done well in those markets you've mentioned. What's the sort of focus? Yeah, look, we're thinking through Asia at the moment, Andy, and uh, and as you know better than anyone, um, it takes a long time to, 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 to break into a market, you know, and we're very respectful of how much work and effort and energy goes into breaking into a market. And I suppose if the, if the journey, you know, is 10 steps, um, we're at step two of that 10-step process. So we've got a long way to go, but um, we're really enthusiastic about the Asian market, um, particularly with the fact that the um, Asian market are very, very um, passionate about the health station and the physical um, component of our, of our offering. Um, but we've got a long way to go. And, uh, and I guess that's, that's sort of um, you know, our job over the next 12 months. You've got localization of your data, haven't you? I mean, there is a large Chinese community in Australia, of course, so you've probably got a, yep. a good basis there. But I mean, Asia Asia's a big word in terms of, you know, to us, it more means Indians and things like this. So, yeah, that's, that's I mean, that's, yeah. that's of interest, I guess, to you, isn't it? To build out in markets with, with different, is it demographic? I think the word is, isn't it? Yeah, 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 it is, it is. And, and try to get to as many different populations as we possibly can and, uh, and try to build it out. And then, and then, you know, we take a deep breath and, um, and, and, and potentially, and I'm talking potentially, um, working through uh, into America um, next year at some point. But, you know, we, we do understand that America um, is an enormous market and we want to make sure that we're really ready for it. Um, for us as a business, we've got around about nine ISO standards that we need to, to uphold. And ISO 13485 is the medical device standard, um, which we require to be able to get FDA approval. Um, and for us to get FDA approval, we've got about six months of work to, to, to get that certification. So we've got what's called CE approval in the, in the, U, in the UK and Europe. Uh, we've got TGA approval, which is the equivalent here in Australia. We need to build out FDA for, for America. Great stuff. Um, Noel, we have a, a question we like to ask our guests uh, as we close interviews, which is you're a, you're a successful man, a veteran uh, businessman who's, who's had successful businesses and probably unsuccessful businesses. Um, if you were to give your 21-year-old self a, a little bit of advice, what would that advice be? Oh, jeepers, Dom. Um don't make as many mistakes. <laughs> that would, um, I would probably say to enjoy the process a little bit more. Um, I, I'm quite a serious individual. Um, I try not to be, but I, but I am quite a serious individual, and um, and you know I've worked in you know sort of hard over the journey, and um, I think sometimes um, you know enjoying 
the process is something I wished I probably had have done a little bit more and something that I'll be encouraging my four children to try to do um, is to is to enjoy the process because, you know, um, good things happen, bad things happen, you know, challenges are, are there to be met. But, yeah, I, I probably, I, I wished I probably could have um, enjoyed it a little bit more. That doesn't mean, that's not to say that I haven't enjoyed it, but just to say enjoy it a little bit more, probably the, the one thing. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy the process. Thank you very much for listening. Noel, as we close, why don't you just let our listeners know how they can find out more about you or follow you? Or Yes. Um, thank you, Dom. So as our website is uh, sisu, so S-I-S-U, healthgroup.com. And, um, you know, all you'll need to know about us as a business is uh, is on sisuhealthgroup.com. And, um, yeah, if anyone would like to, to chat and um, suggest or um, anything, then uh, I'd be more than happy to, to um, you know, receive that correspondence. And probably a good opportunity for me as well to, um, to acknowledge Uri Clark. Um, you know, I, I met Andy in 2007. Um, you know, we just sort of moved across um, as a family in 2006. And Uri Clark have been an enormous um, supporter of ours over the journey. And, um, you know, it, it's not often that you uh, speak enormously highly of your accounting and legal firm, um, but um, they've just been incredible in, t- in terms of the way that they've supported us as a business. And we certainly wouldn't be having um, the success that we're having um, if we didn't have their support. And, you know, Andy and his team um, always uh, always with a smile. Um, I don't think we're the easiest clients in the world, but um, but certainly uh, we, we've enjoyed, we have enjoyed the process with them. So it's a good opportunity for us as a business to say thanks to uh, Uri Clark as well. Mate, thanks to you. You've been far too kind, mate. You're a, an amazing client. So, you know. Noel Duncan, it's been great talking to you. Thank you very much. And thank you for listening. We'll see you again soon. And make sure you subscribe to the show so you can join Andy Uri and me, Dominic Frisbee, for the next episode of Business Without B****.